Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is a podcast for sustainable fashion conversations. Whether you're a consumer or a sustainable fashion brand owner, we have a lot of resources just for you. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you and equip you with the knowledge to help right the harmful fashion industry. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to Recloseted Radio. In today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest who you might be familiar with, Iris Chow, who is back, and she is also our contributing writer here at Recloseted. You may have seen her name around because she's the brains behind our wonderful Material Monday posts. And last year, in episode five of this podcast, we actually had her on too, and we celebrated Fashion Revolution Week together by talking about the living wage. And it was a really highly downloaded episode, so if you haven't listened to it, I would highly recommend you go back after you listen to this one and check it out, and I'll have it linked in the show notes. But anyways, it was so highly downloaded and really popular, so we're back this year for another Fashion Revolution Week episode. So, hi, Iris. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we're so glad that you're back. Hey, Selena. I'm so glad to be back here with you as well and having to talk with you about Fashion Revolution. It's a super interesting time that we're living in right now. So, I'm excited to dive into this topic with you. Yeah, totally. You bring up a good point. And a lot of our discussion topics today are going to be kind of related to COVID, but we're going to try to make it relevant still to Fashion Revolution Week. So yeah, so maybe just to begin with, in case people aren't aware, I'll just do a quick overview of what Fashion Revolution Week is. So essentially, it's a movement that is calling for more transparency in the fashion industry. And you may have seen some of their graphics around, but they really encourage customers to ask brands who made my clothes and really stand up for workers' rights and strive for ethical wages. Again, like today's episode is kind of a weird time to your point. But if we take a step back, like why is the fashion revolution movement important to you, Iris? I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think the fashion revolution movement is really the first one of its kind that we've seen in this industry, really just bringing on um, a challenge to brands to push for transparency and also to raise awareness as to what transparency actually is. Why should we care about where our clothes come from and who made them? Fashion Revolution is really the first organization to push these ideas out into the mainstream. And I think that it's continuing to fight that fight and we need to learn more about it now as sustainable fashion is kind of having its moment and just hold on to that and keep supporting this movement because there's still a lot of people out there who, you know, don't really care for transparency. Kind of like we haven't really seen that as strong as we have maybe seen it in food and knowing where our food comes from. But as for clothing, I really admire this organization at how good they've been at pushing for transparency and for big brands like H&M and Zara to tell us who makes our clothes, how much those people get paid, where our materials come from, and how it's affecting our world. I think they're doing a great job and that they continue to. I agree with you. Like, I think they're doing such a great job. And every single year, this movement gets bigger and bigger. Like, it used to just be a fashion revolution day, and then now it's a whole week. So maybe next thing we know, it'll be a whole month, and then maybe it'll be like an all-year-round thing. 
not that it isn't an all year round thing, but you know, just like the amount of publicity and people getting involved is really cool too. And like, I completely echo your thoughts. And I think that to your point, fashion sustainability is becoming more important. But also if we take a step back, it just always boggles my mind that the clothes on our backs have such a dirty past potentially and also have caused harm to others. And that's why this is so important to me. And I always want to raise my awareness about it and educate people about what's going on because that just doesn't seem right to me, you know? So it's always good to educate ourselves demand better from brands. And I think today we'll talk about a lot of really interesting topics. I'm really excited to get into it with you. Mm -hmm. So one of the first questions, because I know we talked about this last year, is what are your thoughts on if it's gotten better in this past year, if you've noticed any big shifts that you're excited about from 2019 to 2020? Love to hear your thoughts on that. Have things gotten better? (laughs) That's a really good question, and I think it's a really big and bold question. For me personally, I have seen, maybe it's what I follow on social media and the people that I interact with, but I definitely have seen an increase in interest in slow brands and um, sustainable initiatives from popular brands as well. I've definitely seen more brands kind of start their own sustainability campaigns, and for example, I never knew this, but a couple of weeks ago, I logged on to H&M and I've noticed that they've made the effort to list out their manufacturers, depending on which product that they're selling. I don't know how much of that information is accurate, but it's interesting to see that they've taken that initiative to do that. So it's, I don't know if I can really say things are better. I don't have the numbers and nor do I do have the scientific knowledge of that, but it just seems like there's more traction. And that's really interesting to witness, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's definitely more traction. But it's also hard to tell to your point, because it's like I follow certain people on social media, and obviously, they're going to talk about it. But I think that everyday consumer is slowly becoming more and more aware and more and more interested in this topic. So that's been really great to see. And I did take a look at Fashion Revolution's 2019 Transparency Index because I felt like that might help us navigate this conversation. And I'll have it linked in the show notes for people that want to check it out as well. It's a really great free resource that they put together. And essentially what they did was review like 200 of the world's largest brands about how much they disclose when it comes to like their social and environmental policies. And like, keep in mind, I think they're just taking these things from public domain. So whatever's on their website or whatever is in their annual reports and things like that. And they put it all together in this format for formative purposes. And they also want people to like read it, but also form their own opinion. So I think that's been really great. But like, I just took some numbers from the report and it was surprising to me. So there's a lot of different scorings throughout the report, but no one scored higher than 64% out of 100. And Mm -hmm. the five highest, which I know you can see right now, but it's like Adidas, Reebok, Patagonia, East Briot, and H&M, which is actually kind of Uh, interesting because like to your point H&M started putting their factories on their website so I like in the report they say that that kind of contributed to their high score but yeah like it was really interesting to see I know you kind of skimmed through it did you have any thoughts on the report 
it's a little bit overwhelming to be honest. Yeah. I know. It's a lot like of numbers. numbers everywhere. And <laughs> I know there's a story behind every number and it's really hard for me to visualize what that looks like. I mean, it all sounds really good, but I'm more curious as to like the individual stories of what brands are doing and like the, I guess, structure of their initiatives less so than the percentage of their score. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting way that they've laid this out. Yeah, I agree with you. I also, coming from a business background, it was really frustrating as I was going through this report that they didn't do year-over-year comparisons. They kind of just gave you like the scores for this year and they kind of said for some of the metrics, like how much it increased by, but I would love to have seen like what that looked like compared to the last year. That's right, just like exactly. a personal thing. That's just a personal thing. <laughs> but they did say, though, there was like a 4% increase in the average score amongst like 150 brands reviewed since 2018. So I feel like the needle is moving, but I just like arguably, I don't know if it's moving fast enough. So yeah, that's the yeah. only thing. And 2019 was really a year. It was the year for Greta Thunberg, you know, and I think that is going to make a really big impact because we've seen kind of like the power of the young people and our young consumers as they're growing up, they're going to expect something different from this industry and all industries because the younger generations are only more and more aware about the urgency of like the action that we need to take to resolve and to relieve climate change. So it's going to be interesting to see how these scores well, and these numbers translate next year as well. Yes, totally. And it's like a really good shift that I'm here for and I'm living for and I'm so glad it's happening. And it's great that the next wave of big consumers, once they you know get jobs and they have more purchasing power, are demanding this kind of transparency because then brands and companies will be like, okay, this is really important now because this is like where the money is. And then that's when I think like the bigger shifts will happen too. Yeah, absolutely. And BOF, so Business of Fashion, they also released this really great case study, if you will, and it's called Lessons from Fashion's Journey to Radical Transparency, I think it is, but I'll have it down linked in the show notes. But that was also really interesting too, because I feel like BOF usually does a really good job of like arguing different sides. And there was lots of parts of that report that I wanted to pull out and talk about. Because one of them, so if you look at the executive summary, one of the things that they said was that transparency doesn't scale well. And that's really because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're small, you can have a better understanding of everything from like, you know, your fabrics to obviously your factories, but your fabrics, maybe your mills, maybe the farms, I don't know. But then as you scale and you produce more product, it can be more difficult because your supply chain gets bigger. So what are your thoughts on this claim that transparency doesn't scale well? Yeah, I totally agree. It's kind of like when you have a secret recipe to something that you make that is uniquely special to you and you don't want to give away the recipe, but that's not the point of transparency. Transparency is knowing exactly where all of your materials come from, who's making it, how much they get paid, what the factories are. And you know, brands don't want to give away that information because then they would potentially lose their edge and lose what makes them special because then it would be accessible to everyone. And in that sense, it just doesn't make sense for scaling. And it's a really, really hard thing to wrestle with. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And it's also, I think the industry is changing a little bit, though. People are sharing a little bit, like especially if people are doing HIG indexes, I feel like they're kind of sharing what works for them and what doesn't. And the fashion industry typically is quite secretive in nature because people want to protect who they're producing with and protect all of their connections. So yeah, like it'll be interesting to see how we can make transparency scale well at a broader scale. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, and it is true. The bigger the company is, the harder it is to find this information out and the easier it is to kind of hide dirty secrets underneath the carpet. So that's the really unfortunate part about all this. Yeah, totally. And then like another point they made, which I thought was really accurate as well, is the fact that transparency is a moving target. Because if you think back to like a few years ago when Everlane just started, like just telling people where their clothes were made, maybe like in which city or even which factory was considered like a really revolutionary wave of transparency. And now it's just become table stakes. So now transparency means a whole nother ball game. And so I think that's been really cool to see, like how people are just demanding more how people just really want to see the inside and the behind the scenes of brands. So yeah, I think that's been cool to see. Yeah, I think we are redefining kind of as we go along and we start to get used to this term transparency and understanding what it is. We're also redefining it and demanding different kinds of information. Like recently, there's been a lot of, as I follow Fashion Revolution, I know that they also fight a lot for gender equality. And that wasn't probably something we cared about two years ago when it comes to transparency in the fashion industry. We just wanted to know who made the clothes, um, how much they were getting paid, but we weren't really thinking about gender equality as much. Um, and so it's interesting to see like the different kinds of information that we're continuing to be interested in. And yeah, just the redefinition of what transparency is, what information we care about now versus before and what's going to be important to us later. Yeah, 100%. And it's really cool to see that there's all these different factors now that brands are caring about and they're being measured um, essentially from consumers about. So yeah, it's been really cool to see. Yeah. And also like maybe in the future, we're going to care about, well, I want to know how many units were produced and how many were thrown away or like how much of the fabric was wasted um, in this year alone or something like that. And that's not usually information that we are thinking about now, but probably maybe in the future, I see that happening. Yeah, to your point, that would be amazing if brands had to release that almost like a like a checklist at the end of the year, just to see like a report card, right? Like how much mm -hmm. fabric did you waste? How much clothing did you have to discount because you made too much? Like all that stuff would yeah. be really helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the last part of the executive summary that I found really interesting is the fact that brands are also struggling with how to communicate this right now, which I think makes sense because it was basically like if you promise too much and you overshare, sometimes people can nitpick and like cause some sort of backlash. And in today's kind of culture of like, you know, people being canceled and people boycotting, like it can be quite risky. But then on the other hand, BOF was also just saying like if brands really fail to educate customers, like their rivals um, doing less may actually benefit from a halo effect of greenwashing. So it's like just really difficult to stand out. And I think that things are quite murky right now. Yeah. And I mean, we're also like 
we're living in an era of fake news, you know, it's so hard to see, um, I guess it's hard to determine whether or not a fancy video touring a factory is real or if it's kind of just, you know, marketing. So I don't know, I struggle that with myself too when I see fancy videos of like, that's telling like this really romantic, unique story behind a fabric and the people and it's, sometimes it feels really fabricated and I can't be there for myself to see what it is. And so I sort of have to believe the video, but at the same time, there's always that part of me that feels like how much of it is real, how much of it is greenwashing, how much of it is propaganda. And because we know that sustainability is not just needed, like it's also very trendy. So yeah, who's just a bandwagoner and who's really doing the right thing? Um, It's a constant judgment call for us as consumers. Yeah, I totally agree. And like as someone that has a marketing background, it always is such a struggle for me because it's like you want to help the brands genuinely doing good succeed. And then brands that have big budgets, but they're just jumping on this bandwagon to your point to like capitalize on it. Like that just really sucks because you know that maybe they're not doing the best practices, but they're definitely kind of taking advantage of this greenwashing halo and this lack of actual substance when it comes to sustainability. So yeah, it's like, it's really hard to kind of navigate. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, I wanted to chat about Everlane a little bit because they were also a brand that was talked about in the report. And it was interesting because at the beginning of the report, in the BOF report, they were using Everlane as a brand, as like a case study of an example of a transparent one because like I just talked about, they show on their website, you know, where every single garment's factory is. And then Mm -hmm. they also show their price points and their margins. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like it it was revolutionary when they launched a few years ago. I actually don't remember when they launched, but I like, has it been a decade? I don't think so, but they were definitely the first of its kind. Right. They were definitely the pioneers. Yeah, they were definitely ahead of their time. And I think after a lot of other brands saw what kind of success Everlane was doing and like the press and the marketing, like other people also started jumping on this bandwagon. And so to our earlier point, it's kind of become table stakes when it comes to sustainability and transparency. But I don't know, they've been receiving a lot of backlash. Um, Yeah, like what are your thoughts on that? Like maybe we can chat a little bit about the kind of backlash they've received and what we think about that. Yeah, it, they were super great when they, yeah, it's just super revolutionary when they first started. And I think maybe some of the backlash is coming from them not being a little bit stagnant in a sense. Like it doesn't seem like they're doing anything new. Um, and I know they didn't get a very high rating on the app Good On You, which is very interesting and very surprising. So I don't know what they're doing wrong, Selena. <laughs> Because I do follow them and I look at this new stuff that they release and I see what they're doing. And they're still one of the brands that I personally admire. So when I found out that they didn't get a very good rating, I was very pretty shocked myself. Yeah, so uh, for those of you that don't know, Good On You is an app and you can download it for free. And they do a pretty robust and intense job of ranking a bunch of fashion brands. And they have this scale. uh, I don't remember the scale, but I think it's like four or five kind of like good, not good enough, like not doing enough kind of thing. And yeah, I was really surprised too because Everlane, I always kind of thought was pretty decent. 
they actually got a score of not good enough, which is the second lowest, I believe, on the app. And I think the main reason why is because they can't really trace where most of their materials come from and they don't provide information on their environmental impact and all that stuff. But like the app is definitely pretty intense and I don't know if harsh is the right word, but like pretty robust when it comes to rating brands. So I think like keep that with a grain of salt. But yeah, like it, it just seems like Everlane did a lot to begin with and then they kind of didn't keep up with how like rigorous they were being transparent if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's kind of interesting yeah and i just going back to what we were discussing earlier everlane has really expanded their product offering in their sneaker line um their athleisure line their leggings they're also doing more suiting now and kind of goes back to the point we were discussing earlier about scalability and scaling transparency and how it only gets harder and maybe that's what they're struggling through right now is like they're offering so many more products that's so many more factories so many more mills so many more vendors to keep track of and to be on top of and maybe they just aren't able to do it with the way that they've done it before because they're getting bigger and they are offering so much more product yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that might be the case as well. Because like when they first launched they launched with t-shirts. So that's way easier mm-hmm. to kind of keep track of versus now they have um, shoes. They, I think they do bags now too. Or maybe I'm just... Yeah, and they do denim. They yeah. do like a whole denim line. Um, lots of like different kinds of sneakers, not just one, I think. And yeah, like both men's and women's. And it's a lot of stuff that they do. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, so, and yeah, I remember before they didn't have as they're mostly kind of they're like your basics line you know it didn't have too many new releases but I'm definitely seeing that they're releasing more and more styles yeah totally and it's really interesting because if we shift gears a little bit they recently so Everlane recently actually came under fire a little bit about laying off a bunch of employees And I don't know a lot about unionizing. I will admit that and I'll be the first to say that. But basically, um, because of COVID-19, they said they had to lay off a bunch of employees. And I don't know the exact number, but I actually think it was probably in the hundreds. And this was kind of around the same time that I think those employees were like trying to make a union. And yeah, like a lot of those employees, I think now are claiming like you just didn't want us to unionize. So that's why you laid us off. And there's a lot of back and forth. So I think they're kind of like dealing with that right now. And Michael Pressman, like the founder slash CEO, like he did a whole statement. But yeah, I don't know. They've definitely come under fire a little bit there. No, that's really unfortunate to hear. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, no brand is perfect. No business is perfect. But we'll just have to see how this all shakes out and how, you know, what the fashion industry is going to look like, quite frankly, after COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And speaking of COVID-19, so maybe let's chat about that right now. So maybe high level, like how do you think it's impacting the fashion supply chain and garment workers? Well, in January, China was basically shut down. <laughs> So that was a huge hit for the fashion industry. Nobody was going to work. It was right around Chinese New Year. So not only were they already on vacation, but very quickly right after that, the Wuhan was on lockdown. And 
um, much of southern China just wasn't operating. And that's where the majority of manufacturers are located. So I definitely think that it was a huge disruption to the fashion industry and to production and things not being able to get made on time, deadlines not being able to be met, and also garment workers not being able to make money and go to their jobs. Or the other hand is garment workers maybe did have to go to their jobs and basically risk their life for it. So it's, it's a very sad situation. And even though China is very much so getting back to normal now, um, we're seeing other countries like India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka um, going through what they're, they were going through earlier this year. Yeah, 100%. Like there's such a big human impact. And Again, like people typically that aren't in the fashion industry don't realize how many hands and people their garments touch. So this is like really similar to any other industry that's been so heartbreakingly affected by COVID-19. So yeah, and like I was looking, again, I'll have this link in the show notes, but Fashion Revolution also released a really good COVID-19 blog post about like what's going on and how people can help. But they were saying in that blog post that brands typically pay their suppliers weeks or even months after everything is delivered rather than upon order. So when they place the order. And so because of that, the suppliers usually pay up front for materials and fibers so that they can use in the products and then like the brands buy the products for them. So in this pandemic, a lot of the Fashion brands are like canceling orders now, stopping payments for orders. And even if the work has already been done, they're like just not taking any responsibility on the impact that this has had on the people working in the supply chain. So that's been really heartbreaking to see because then factories as business owners, like they just don't have any money anymore, right? And they're in all this debt. So they have little choice but to like destroy the unwanted goods, which is something like we'll talk about. And or like lay off workers in like thousands or in hundreds. So it's, yeah, it's just so devastating. Yeah, that is. I am just speechless that it's one of the most upsetting things about the impact of COVID-19 on the fashion industry is all the extra stuff that we're just not going to be able to use or to sell. And yeah, a really... um, competitive and just like selfish environment where it's really kind of a one man for themselves a mentality where it's like I don't want to take responsibility factory doesn't want to take responsibility and it's just what's going to happen to everything that um, we made and yeah all the orders that have been placed it's really really messy and I know it's different for every brand like the way that payment works and the way that orders are done are kind of different, like depending on the size of the brand and yeah, who they're working with. But definitely think in most situations, what you just described is the reality. Yeah. And to your point, like, it's just so devastating because like, I know you were kind of wondering about what will happen to all this clothing. And if we take a step back, like, like we totally are privileged, like both of us are healthy and we're able to work from home. And these companies, like I get it, you're trying to stay alive. But I think there's a point where you need to come out of survival mode and then think about the long term and also in the environment if you can, which I know is like a very privileged thing to say, but it is so it's still it's like important, right? Because to your point, like if people are burning all these clothing, or just like deeply discounting and like throwing more clothes out there, like, it has such a big impact. So I don't know, like, what do you think is going to happen to most of the clothing? I think it's going to be destroyed, if I'm being realistic. 
if it doesn't sell, um, I think, I mean, if there's really, really large orders for a big company, I think it will likely be destroyed because it's just not realistic for everything to be discounted. We're in Canada right now. And I think COVID-19, we basically lost our summer to COVID-19. I guess like that's what I'm mentally prepared for is not really having a summer because of COVID-19. And I think that might be important um, for the sake of everybody's health. But like by the time summer's over, you know, we really have four seasons. It's going to be wintertime. And none of that discounted merchandise is going to mean anything by that time. So yeah, fashion has a really, really strict timeline. And we have like 20 something seasons in a year that we design for. So all of that is really screwed up by this timeline. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I think people can do their best to try to sell online. And then even if it doesn't sell, like discounting, which isn't great either. But it's just, yeah, it, it's going to be crazy, I think. And I think the other thing is just like, no one knows how long this will last and what the timelines are going to be. So it, it'll be interesting to see which factories and mills and production facilities are left, quite frankly, by the end of this, because they're all businesses too. And if they don't have the financial capabilities to survive, a lot of them are going to go out of business. And that's really heartbreaking too. Yeah, that's right. And also like small labels too. I'm also worried for small businesses and small slow fashion labels too and what they're going to do. Yeah, like I have a couple of clients that were supposed to launch this spring slash summer season and now they're just kind of delaying indefinitely just because they just don't feel good launching right now. And also like their production facilities have closed down. So it's just, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's uh, such a difficult time for small businesses. Yeah, but there is some positivity. I mean, like in that Fashion Revolution article that I was just talking about, about COVID-19, they did say quite a few big brands, and H&M is one of them. They said Target, Marks & Spencer, Inditex, which owns Zara, and some others. Like they've all publicly confirmed that they intend to receive and pay for products that are already made, as well as orders that were placed. But like I think that some cases those brands have just like said that, but there's no time frame or no like details on when payments will be made. But like I mean, at least some brands are trying, which is good. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and also like those brands that you just mentioned as well, they're huge, right? They're international, so it's not like all of their stores are shut down. Like they're still reaching quite a lot of people, and. Um, similar to what a lot of people in the food industry are predicting for their future, maybe when the pandemic is over, I don't know if people are going to be able to afford shopping at smaller brands. And maybe people are going to be forced to shop at places like H&M and Target. So, well, there will be product there for them. Yeah, it's honestly going to be so interesting to see what the industry looks like and like what consumer preferences are going to look like after this. But I don't know, we'll like keep up hope that people will continue to support local, continue to support small brands, genuinely doing a good job. And yeah, I, I just I just kind of like hope everyone will stay in there and just like it'll work out. But I'm definitely one of those like positive, wistful thinkers. So. I know. I mean, it's really hard to say, right? Because if we lose our favorite, you know, small neighborhood brand or slow fashion brands, if they're not able to get through 
kind of the economic implications of this pandemic, then there are just less options for people who care about slow fashion. And there are less options for people who have gotten laid off and can no longer afford like higher priced clothing. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, yeah, consumer preferences and how they change after this. Yeah, for sure. What do you think are some things that companies or brands should be doing right now in light of COVID-19? Like, do you think all of them should be paying for their orders or do you think they all should just like hit delay or hit pause? Um, Or do you think like, I don't know if factories do gift cards, but you know what I mean? Kind of like a, here's like some money to help you guys through this. And like, we can do like an IOU kind of thing or like advanced orders. Like, what do you think that companies can do to really support their production partners? Because like, I think that if your production partners go out of business, it's not just bad for them. It's also bad for the brand because then they have to go out and find new partners. So yeah, like what do you think companies can or should be doing right now if they have the budgets? Yeah, I definitely think they need to be paying for their orders, especially if the orders have already been completed. Yeah, and also to be... I guess, to continue planning their future and to lay out a really, I guess, if accurate, as accurate as they can roadmap for what their future is going to look like and to ensure that the factories know that um, this company is intending to continue working with them after the pandemic. Like just that kind of verbal assurance, I think is super important. But yeah, it's it's just so unpredictable. It's it's really hard to say. Like for example, India is on lockdown, and we don't know how long um, it, they're going to continue being on lockdown. So it's it's so hard to say. Everyone there is working from home or not working. Um, garment workers can't get to work. So, but then nobody knows when it's going to when things are going to change. So. Yeah. And it's interesting because people are like, okay, well, we'll look at China as a case study because it started there and now they're kind of back to normal, quote unquote, back to normal. I don't know if that's like actually true or what their normal looks like. But I think other places like India and Bangladesh where they don't have the kind of rigor and the structure and maybe the healthcare system set up, like I I think it's going to be really different. So yeah, like it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Yeah, for sure. But on another note, if you're a consumer listening to this episode, there are ways that you can help garment workers in the garment industry during these times. And it's in that Fashion Revolution COVID-19 article. But there's a few things you can do. Like the first one is for brands that haven't yet responded to paying for orders that have been made, which is really important that Iris just talked about. You can ask them to hashtag pay up. And Fashion Revolution has like a whole list of these brands. So you can definitely go bombard them. And also they can donate money directly to nonprofit organizations that are providing support to garment workers. And you can also donate to Fashion Revolution too, because I believe they're a nonprofit. Is that the classification that they are? I believe so. Yeah, I think it's a nonprofit. But anyways, like you can donate to them. You can donate to other ones um, that they have on that blog post. So again, it'll be in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Um, Yeah. And then another thing that I've been seeing is that some factories and garment workers have kind of pivoted now to making masks and gowns for COVID-19. So um, would love to know like what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. 
I think it's really good. I actually just saw an article today about Zara doing that. I will have to find it for you later, Selena, but I did see an article on LinkedIn about Zara pivoting and focusing on making gowns. So that's very interesting. I think it's definitely a way for garment workers to continue to be employed and for also just meeting the intense global demand that we need for protective wear and protective equipment. Yeah, totally. The one thing that I've been kind of struggling with is that I know a lot of brands now are pivoting to making masks for consumers and it's like they're trying to make these stylish cute masks, which is great, but they aren't like they don't actually block COVID-19, which I think it's still like better protection than nothing. But a part of me is also like, oh my God, we're like mass producing all of these masks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's still material. It's still stuff. And then like once this all dies down, like what is going to happen to all of these masks? Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it just seems like a lot. I don't think waste is the right word because it still is good and still preventative. But I feel like all these brands are just, again, like jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, I don't know. Also, these brands are trying to support. So maybe I'm just being cynical. I don't know. No, I totally agree. And I personally am not a fan of the fabric masks because they are not medical grade. So the fabric masks are great for people kind of like myself where I'm just working from home and I sometimes go out and need to get groceries. But in terms of the PPEs that we really do need, it's really for our frontliners, right? And they need equipment that is going to basically save their life. And so I hope that we can maybe focus more on providing adequate equipment for them because that's kind of where the shortage is really at. And yeah, so it is kind of weird to see all of these fabric masks coming out and yet they're not really the most ideal for like a frontliner to use. So yeah, but we'll just have to see. It's just, I, I just hesitate with all the materials and like how many they're making, but I know that people are kind of freaking out and they're like wanting this stuff. So at least maybe mm-hmm. after they'll like keep it and they won't just like throw them out or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've thought about too is how is COVID-19 going to change our daily habits? Like, are we going to be wearing masks more often? (laughs) Because that is what happened in Hong Kong and in Asia after SARS. Like, it just became a little bit more regular to just have a mask on hand and it wouldn't be weird to see people wearing masks just on like a regular day. So it'd be interesting to see like whether or not our habits change here in North America too. Yeah, totally. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to chat about in regards to like fashion revolution or like how COVID is changing things before we wrap it up? Uh, I guess I want to know how you're doing, Selena. How are you dealing with COVID-19 and kind of thinking through all of this stuff that's happening in the world? I know it's super overwhelming, but how are you doing? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're both in Vancouver, Canada, and we're approaching week four now of our isolation slash physical distancing. And it's definitely been an adjustment. I would say that I'm kind of settling into my new normal now. And we were kind of just talking about this before we started the podcast episode, but I've started becoming really rigorous with my routines. I'm definitely very like type A slash OCD, so this is kind of in my wheelhouse, but I've started implementing a morning routine and an evening wind down routine. And I found what's been really helpful for me is just waking up every day at the same time. 
So I wake up at seven, even though I'm not like transiting to work or whatever, but I still wake up at seven. And then from seven to eight, it's like my me time. So I make sure I eat a healthy breakfast. I make sure I like drink lots of water. And then depending on how I'm feeling, I'll either like meditate or I'll like journal, just like kind of be intentional and just with myself for about an hour. And then I'll start my day. And then I try to take uh, lunch break, but to be honest, it doesn't really happen all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like one of those things, but it, it's just hard, right? When you're working from home and like everything bleeds together. But yeah, the, the other thing that's been really helpful for me is my evening routine, like I talked about. So I just like read for 30 to 40 minutes and then try not to look at my phone or the computer because the blue light really interferes like with our sleep patterns. So yeah, yeah, that's just been some things I've been doing. It's just like more routine, more structure, and then going out whenever I can for walks in the forest or things like that to kind of maintain my sanity. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, How about you? Like, have you been doing, what have you been doing to try to work around everything that's going on? Yeah, well, similar to you, I've also tried to set up a regular routine for myself. Um, I've been exercising outside, going out for jogs, and just trying to do things, little things here and there that make me happy and to pass the time. Um, So yeah, there are moments where I feel bored, but I am also constantly thankful that um, I'm healthy and that we're trying as a province to really social distance and um, to stay apart. And yeah, so yeah, just constant moments of gratitude I find are really, really important. I'm really thankful to our healthcare workers and frontliners and just everything that they're doing for us. And I'm also noticing that we don't need very much to live, you know, like life has really slowed down and I haven't eaten out in probably two months and I haven't bought an item of clothing for quite a long time as well, probably more than two months. And it's like, hmm, I don't need very much actually. You kind of think that you do when life is just regular and it's all hustle and bustle. But now that, you know, life has changed significantly and then we're all slowing down, you just realize that there are more important things and yeah, maybe less is more. Yeah, I love that. I think that after this all settles, it'll be interesting to see how we adjust our normal daily routines and how we go back into it. I wonder if people are just going to go back to how things normally were or if people are actually going to make shifts to your point, because I feel like more and more people are living a more minimalist lifestyle and it's been really awesome to see yeah for sure because the mall's not open i'm not gonna be able to go to the mall and feel tempted to buy something new so (laughs) i guess that's good i'm really yeah i also don't get dressed up as much anymore so i've kind of forgotten about all of my clothes and i I do miss them but yeah there are more important things than clothes sometimes Yeah, totally. And like you, like, I feel so privileged and so grateful that like, I'm healthy, my family's healthy, my friends are healthy. And we're both able to like do this podcast episode and we're both able to work from home. Like that's, you know, and then like, there's all these healthcare heroes that are out there putting their lives at risk to help us. So definitely feel privileged. But I also 
like I was talking to my therapist about this this week too, but it's like we can feel all this privilege and we can feel gratitude, but it's also okay to feel like sad and upset even though we have all this privilege because this is something that no one's ever experienced before, you know, and it's like a global pandemic. So even if you feel sad or upset, like that's okay, even if you are in like a state of privilege, like it's okay to feel down too. Like it doesn't always have to be sunshine and rainbows. And that was like good for me to hear because I'm definitely someone that tries to be more positive. So but yeah, that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, you're totally right. Like it's really important to feel what we're feeling and just to be able to process them. Yeah, totally. So is there anything else you want people to know about when it comes to like the fashion revolution movement? Or is there any other like words of wisdom or advice that you wanted to leave our listeners with? I would say, yes, life has slowed down, but let's not have this movement slow down. Let's keep asking brands who made my clothes. Let's keep supporting the movement. Let's keep demanding these things, even though there probably will be a slowdown. But even if there is, like, we cannot ignore it. Like, we cannot, um, yeah, we can't, like, think too much of it. We have to keep demanding these things, even as businesses slow down a little bit more. But it's just super important to keep tuned in and to keep being passionate about the message. Um, Yeah, I would say that's my piece for consumers to do. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think this is a really good place then to end the episode, but thank you again for coming back on. The episode last year did so well, and I'm sure this one will as well, and it'll be really helpful to everyone that listens. So thanks, Iris. Thanks, Selena. If you learned a lot in this episode and you enjoyed it, make sure you take a screenshot of yourself listening to this episode and upload it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. If you haven't already, also make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes are automatically downloaded every time they are released. Lastly, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a positive rating and review if you think we deserve it. That helps us get found and then we can really help further our sustainable fashion message. Thanks for listening and together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.